What's up, Grace Church? My name is uh, Sean Sears. I'm the lead pastor here, and I'm glad that you guys uh, are, are here. Last week, we finished up our series on family, and in my life group on, on Friday night in, in, in Stoughton, uh, we, we were talking about the way that we build things or patterns, habits uh, in our life, monuments uh, that either keep us tethered to our faith or, or sometimes we build patterns, habits, uh, rituals, traditions in our life that keep us from becoming the person of faith that God's, that God's calling us to be. And I, I kept trying to keep the conversation uh, on, on topic. And towards the end, it just got out of control. And a couple of the people in my life group said that they, they were going to skip, skip church for the next three weeks. And I said, why? And they said, aren't we starting that new adoption series? And so I said, how, how did you know we're starting that series uh, on, on adoption? And he said, because I've been paying attention to Facebook. And uh, uh, I don't know if we're ready for that, so I'll, I'll see you guys in like a month, is what he said, uh, because he was afraid that as a result of coming uh, to Grace Church this weekend and the next two weeks, that he would be guilted into uh, adopting a baby, is what I think he was afraid of, and his youngest was already in high school now, and, and, and he's kind of, he's, he's done. I was sharing that story with Pastor Taylor uh, from uh, your location there in Braintree, and he goes, but this adoption thing is more of a metaphor, the way that God... God adopts us, right? 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 Because homeboy doesn't want any more kids for him and Nicole either, I think is what that was about. So we are starting a new series uh, today uh, called Ad Adopted, and the idea behind this series is that if you love Jesus, you will adopt children. <laughs> and if you don't adopt children, you love the devil. I'm just kidding. That's not it at all. There's going to be no guilt trip about this uh, at all. It, it is a metaphor, uh, but it's also a beautiful picture of, of our relationship with God. And God is the one who chooses to use uh, the, the term adoption in reference to the kind of relationship that, that, that we, have, we have with him. And the truth is, though, uh, uh, that there's, there's nobody in the world more vulnerable than a child who has nobody fighting for them. Would you guys agree with that? Like that's that's just it's just true. And I, like I don't I don't know that there's anybody like more vulnerable, more more. I, I, my heart goes out to kids that 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 don't have parents, and I, and I'm I'm sure your, yours yours do also. And so we will be talking a little bit about adoption and foster care uh, in in this series. But our focus is primarily going to be on our relationship with God, as it is every single weekend here at Grace. So whether you're in Avon, Braintree, Bridgewater, or watching uh, live on Facebook, we're we're glad that you're here. We don't take it for granted, and we're going to jump in right now. So if you would, go to your Bible to James chapter 1, verse 27 is where we're going to start. James chapter 1, verse 27. Here's what the scripture says. Ready? Pure and genuine religion, pure and genuine religion, and the sight of God, the <laughs> pure and genuine religion, here we go. Pure and genuine religion and the sight of God the Father means this. Caring for orphans and widows in their distress and refusing to let the world corrupt you. So here's what the Bible says. that there's, There is an expression that God says this is, this is genuine religion. This is genuine. This, this is pure before me. Like, like when, I, when I look at this, I say they get it. And, it. and it's two parts. The first part is those who care for widows and, and orphans. 
And, and the second is those who, who don't allow sin to begin ruling in their life again once God set them free from their enslavement to their, their bad habits, their sin, their disobedience to God, and their selfishness towards others. And churches do a, a really good job, I think, uh, well, a lot of churches, maybe not all, covering that second part, talking about the way that we need to uh, get distance from the things that are in our heart and our life, the choices that we make that keep us separated from God and the person that he's trying to, trying, calling us to be. And, but, but churches, in my experience at least, don't do a good job covering that first half. Talking about our responsibility to care for the most defenseless, the most vulnerable, the most, the most fragile, the most fragile in the world. And truthfully, there's some reasons why. And because it's terribly inconvenient. It's a whole lot easier for me to focus on my own kids uh, and to take care of them. Um, well, number one, because I have to, right? Uh, but I, I, I get something out of this, out of this also. And, and doing things for other people that aren't as obligated to me as I am to them is, is, is difficult. I mean, it, it's hard to find that, that motivation. And then that goes back to what we talked about in this last series where Jesus had said in the Sermon on the Mount that it's easy for people to love people that have already demonstrated love to them first. He said, but those who truly follow me will love the way I loved, the way I loved you before you had ever initiated an interest in me, that I forgave you for unforgivable things, that I gave to you when you were selfish, um, and he says, so since I've done these things for you, you ought to do, anybody can love people that have loved them back. Anybody can forgive people who've forgiven them. Like, we, everybody can do this. But he says, one of the marks of those whose hearts have honestly been changed um, by what I'm trying to do in their life will have a greater capacity. They'll have an extra measurable set of bandwidth by which they'll have the ability to do things that they might not have been able to do before. And, and this, is, this is one of those things. The ability to love those who, and, and to care for those who have nobody else to care for them at all. I, I think there's a misperception, though, when it comes to, and I'm, I'm going to transition and talk about adoption as a metaphor for our relationship with God. Because that verse, James 1.27, is going to be the verse that keeps coming up for the next two weeks. That pure and genuine religion before God, the Father, is this, that we care for widows. And, and by the way, while we're not talking about widows in this series, um, the idea here is not just women who've lost their husband, but have their kids to take care of them. There's another passage of Scripture where it kind of breaks this down a little bit more, and it talks about widows indeed. And, and that was the phrase, widows indeed. And that's, that's an older lady who, who can't earn for herself, and she has no children to take care of her, and her husband's dead. Like, they had no government, like, welfare system or housing authority or anything back in those days. And so those old ladies potentially could become destitute. They could become beggars, and they would, they would die of exposure. So they were in the exact same widows that he's talking about are in the exact same condition as orphans. They're fragile, they're vulnerable, and they have absolutely nobody look, looking out for them. Um, and, and so that's, that verse is, is going to keep coming up. But this idea of caring for orphans becomes this beautiful picture of God and his relationship, uh, his, his relationship with us. And I, and I think that most of us are raised with the idea 
that everybody is, is, a child, is a child of God, that we're all, we're all God's children. How many of you guys have ever heard that phrase, that, that all of us are God's children? Has anybody ever, ever heard that phrase before? And so I think what we get from that is the idea that I've, I've always been with God. And, and that's, it's just not true. It's, 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 not, biblically, it's not biblically accurate. We're, we're not born into the household of faith. We're not born uh, in, in God's family. We're born and created in the image of God. That's true. Uh, but we're born, the Bible says, spiritually dead in our sins. And this happened when Adam and Eve chose to rebel against the authority of God. He said, on the day that you do this, you're going to die. And so while they were creating the image of God, both physical and, and spiritually alive and aware, the day sin entered into the world, mankind became blind or dead to spiritual realities. So like, 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 like angels are purely spiritual and animals are purely physical, we're creating the image of God, we're both physical and spiritual, but when sin came into the world, it, it, it blinded us and to, to spiritual realities. And, and so we're, we're born, according to Romans chapter 5, dead in our sins if we have a human father, which this is a little bit off track, but it's one of the reasons why it's so important that Jesus was virgin born is because Romans chapter 5 says the sin nature is passed on from the father. Jesus did not have a human father, so he truly had the choice on whether or not he was going to sin, whereas you and I, we didn't have that choice. We were born with a default setting set towards selfishness and sin. If you've ever babysat a child, you know this to be true. You don't have to teach a child to hit and to take. You have to teach a child to, to be kind and to share. We already know how to hit. We already know how to take. And I've said this before. We're like the we're like the the the, uh, the seagulls uh, uh, from from uh, uh, little, uh, Nemo. Remember that Nemo that movie. Remember the seagulls. Not mine, 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 mine. Anybody remember those seagulls? Okay, like that's we're 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 born that way. We're born disconnected from God, and not everybody is a child of God. We're born separated from God because of our sins, and then the choices that we make on our own reinforce the natural nature towards selfishness that we have in us. It creates patterns that end up needing to be broken once we're rescued from that sin. And this is talked about in John chapter 1. So if you've got your Bible, we were just in James. Now we're going to be in the book of John, which is the fourth book of the New Testament. So if you've got your Bible, go to John, uh, John chapter 1, and here's what it says in verse 12. To all who... Uh, believed him, that's Jesus, if you read the first 13 or the first 11 verses here, uh, to all those who believed Jesus and accepted Jesus, he, God, gives the right to become the children of God. So we're not born into this. Um, your mom and dad can't bring you into the household of faith. At some point, you have to decide for yourself, do I believe that Jesus died on the cross as a payment for my sin that he was buried and that he rose from the dead on the third day to give me new life. Do I believe that? And until you get to that place, you are not made a child of God. Until then, the Bible refers to you as a spiritual orphan. You are spiritually lost, disconnected. The Apostle Paul says that we are still yet dead in our sins and trespasses. Until we come to the place that we accept that Jesus never sinned and offered himself as a payment for us, taking our sin on himself and giving us his standing before God. Now, here's the reality, is that Satan believes this also. 
That's why it adds that second part. There's a lot of people who believe that Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. That's not a matter of theology. That's a matter of history. Either he really did die and rose from the dead or he did not. That either really did happen in history or it did not. And what you believe about that doesn't change it. So if there is a God and there is a devil, it makes sense that they would be fully aware of each other's existence. If that's true, so whether or not you're a religious person, I hope you follow with me on this logic. If there is a God and there is a devil, they probably are aware of each other's existence. And if Jesus really did die on the cross for our sins and raised from the dead on the third day, Satan knows this to be true too. So believing the right things doesn't make Satan a child of God any more than you believing the right things makes you a child of God. That's why it says to those who believed him and accepted him. I believe that about you. And I accept you now as a permanent part of my life. I'm all in. It's the same way I'd, I loved Billy Jane, but I wasn't married to Billy Jane until I said, what, two little words to Billy Jane? I do. And in that moment, I loved her and accepted her as the center of my life and heart. Does that make sense? And that's when the relationship changed. That's when I went from single to married on Facebook, right? It's in the Bible, right? Like that's, it, it was that, it was that I, I believed and, and I accept. I, I loved and, and I committed. Like that's, that's when everything changed. So he says that those who believed the right things and then committed to him in response to the truth that he committed to us first those people are now made a child of God. And until you get to that all-in moment, the Scripture refers to you, the Bible refers to you as an orphan, as spiritually dead in your sins. And the scariest part of that is that if you live the rest of this life disconnected from God and die, you enter eternity the exact same way disconnected from God. And there's nobody who's more concerned about that than God, which, which is, is awesome. John chapter 6, if you've got your Bible open, you can just turn a few chapters later. If you've got your Bible open on your, on your, Bible, on your Bible app, uh, you can just go back up to the top, hit, hit John again, hit chapter 6 again, and, or excuse me, hit chapter 6, and then go to verse 44 is where I'm going to be at, where Jesus says this. He says, for no one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. Did you get that? Jesus said that you are not in control of your adoption. You don't get to choose when you're made a child of God which kind of messes with us a little bit because we like the idea that we get to set the terms by which God is involved in our life. But that's not biblical either. Jesus said, nobody comes to me unless my Father who sent me draws them to me first. Now, this actually makes some of the things you've already experienced in a church service make sense. You've probably been in a church service Probably if you've, if you've been four or five times, I would imagine, it probably wouldn't take a whole lot more than that, but you're probably in, in a church service, or maybe you were watching a church service on, on TV or, or online, or 
I remember the first like in-depth spiritual conversation I had with Garrett, my oldest, he's 23 now, was when he was six and we were in my Jeep Comanche. Not that you care, I just missed that truck. Um, Jeep don't make pickup trucks anymore. Oh, they're going to. Sorry, that has, we're way off the topic of Jesus. But we're sitting in my Jeep Comanche and Billy Graham was preaching. Right, And he was talking about the old devil is what he was saying. And he wants to keep you from, from softening your heart and repenting of sin. That, that was the sermon that, that, that was always the sermon that Billy Graham preached. And uh, Garrett looked over at me and he, and he goes, uh, well, I, I, know, I know how to get the devil not to get me. And I said, oh, do tell. Right? And then he said, I'm going to get Jesus to punch him in the face. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, dude, that'll work. That'll work, Right? Like that's like there's like God, what what I loved is that listening to Billy Graham on the radio in my Jeep Comanche, my son began thinking about spiritual things. So there there's probably been a moment in your life where without somebody else forcing it on you, you 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 were thinking about this kind of thing. And and you've been in a service probably where the reality of God and your distance from him caused you concern. And you recognized that you were at fault for your distance between you and God, not God. Right? There was a moment where you were stirred on the inside. And then somebody that you went to that church service with was listening to the exact same sermon and they got absolutely nothing from it. What was the difference? You were being drawn by God to his son Jesus and they weren't. It wasn't the preacher. It wasn't the sermon. It wasn't even you. It was God initiating. So there are times, like some of you are going to listen to today's teaching, and you're going to go, dang it, I am far from God, and I want God to take away all the crap on the inside, to clean my heart, to get rid of all of this guilt and the regret. I don't want to be defined by these things anymore. I want my heart to be made new, and I want to be made right with God. And there's going to be somebody sitting right next to you who's done nothing but check their watch the entire time. And the difference isn't me. It's not even you. It's that there are some times when God chooses. Romans chapter 1 indicates that everybody will get one shot. One shot. God will everybody get draw their attention to the reality of him at some point in their life. In the same way, an adopted parent is the one who chooses the child to adopt. The child does not ch- choose. The orphan does not get to pick who their parents are. The parent picks the orphan. The orphan gets to choose whether or not they accept the parent's choice of them. Does that make sense? Like a kid isn't going to be adopted against their will. If the kid doesn't want to go into that home, no one's going to make them, right? But it wasn't their idea. It was the parents who initiated. That's all Jesus is saying. Like this metaphor of adoption, it works. That's why God uses it. He's the one who has the goods to bring to the table. You bring nothing to it. It's only because he has love in his heart that he wants someone to receive that he chooses you. He initiates 
He turns your attention toward him just a little bit. And then you have the opportunity to accept him. That's, your, that's what you get to do. You get to respond to God's initiation of this new relationship. That's all the scriptures are talking about. Ephesians chapter 1 is where we're going. In Ephesians chapter 1, here's, here's how Paul uh, goes on to describe this in verse 5. God decided in advance, here's the word, to adopt us into his own family by bringing us to himself through Jesus. This is what he wanted to do. Why? What does he get from this? I'll tell you what God gets from this. What God gets from this is a never-ending carousel of Sean rebelling against the authority of God, repenting of it, asking for forgiveness, God forgiving me, and then I go around the merry-go-round one more time, and he forgives me, and I get right back on, and I do it again, and he forgives me, and I get right back on. I don't, am I the only pagan in the room? <laughs> like, I don't know that God up in heaven needs Sean and his family. He don't need me. What do I have to offer that the creator of all of existence is without? Absolutely nothing. So what he does is he chooses a long time ago, I'm going to adopt every single one of them that will accept me. Every single one of them. You know why? Look at the end of that verse. Can you look at it again? Ephesians chapter 1 verse 5. This is what he wanted to do because it brought him great, great pleasure. He loves it. In the same way that those who go on our mission trips get to experience the satisfaction of showing up where nobody expected to improve somebody's life who had no hope of being improved. The way that that fills your heart when you get on the plane and come back home God gets to experience every time he adopts another spiritual orphan. Every time another person who shows up in a church service and recognizes that they have disobeyed God's commandments and been selfish towards their fellow man and how that sin will keep them separated from God for all of forever. Every time God causes the weight, the gravity of that to settle in on their heart in such a way that they are moved to beg Jesus to take away their sin and to clean their heart. God goes, I just rescued another one. Right? It'd be like, I think another picture of this, how, like, I'm trying to, how would I, if there was a boat that sank and I had a lobster boat, like a Boston whaler, and I went out there, how many of those people would I want to drag into my boat? Every single one. But the truth is I couldn't get any of them into my boat that didn't want to get into my boat. Now, the truth is if I don't go out there, they'll all drown. So I'm the one who initiates. I stick up my hand, and every time we pull in another one, how do we feel? Awesome. The only thing that would break your heart would be the number of those who rejected your invitation. Right? And honestly, I think that's what grieves God most. When we have the chance and we say no again. And again, and again, and again. Ephesians chapter 2, same, same book of the Bible. One chapter later, in verse 4 and 5, it says this. But God, who is so rich in mercy, 
and he loved us so much that even though we were dead because of our sins, we've already talked about that being dead in our sins, even though we were dead in our sins, he gave us life when he raised Jesus from the dead. It is by God's grace that you have been saved. The only ingredient, the only ingredient necessary for you to be adopted into the, the household of faith, into God's family, is brought into the mix by God. It's grace. You know what mercy is? He's so rich in mercy, that verse says. Mercy is not giving somebody what they deserve. Truthfully, God don't owe me nothing. And Jesus said that God's judging us based on the condition and the thoughts and intents of our heart. So if God can read my mind, even every time I do something good, truthfully, half the stuff I do good, I do to be seen by other people so that other people know how good I am, which is bad. So truthfully, most of the good stuff, I don't get credit for. And then all the bad stuff, trust me, it's way worse in my head. <laughs> right? What I know I do deserve from God is rejection, judgment. Because when I stand before God on Judgment Day and He says, Are you innocent or guilty of breaking my laws? I know the answer to that question. You and I are both what? We're guilty. And if God is good, should He let you off the hook? Not if He's good. A good judge would never let a guilty criminal go free, a good judge would insist. They pay to the fullest extent of the law. So I know what I deserve from God. But I'm thankful that he's rich in mercy. He overflows with mercy. Mercy is the quality of God that allows him to not do to me what my actions deserve to have done to me. And he's so full of grace, which is giving to me what I never earned. So mercy is not giving what they did deserve, grace is giving what they didn't deserve. What did I not deserve? Jesus. That's what I didn't deserve. Jesus living a human life without breaking God's law, earning immunity and exemption from the consequences of sin, and him offering that to me. Who in the world do I think I am that I would say that my life is worth his death? None of us would be so fresh as to ask Jesus to die for us. We wouldn't do that. But he volunteered. Why? Grace. Grace is why I have an opportunity to be made right with God. It's a one-sided relationship that I continually botch up. And the truth is, if anybody had ever treated me and their relationship with me the way that I treat God and his relationship with me, I would bail on them a long time ago. That's why the writer of Ephesians can say God is so rich in mercy. See, here's the thing. I don't think we're that motivated to live for God because I think we gloss over how dark our hearts really are. We're not honest in our evaluation of ourself. And the sinfulness and the selfishness of our own hearts, the weight of that don't settle in very deep. So we don't appreciate what we've been given. 
because we don't want to admit how guilty we really are. 2 Corinthians chapter 6 puts it this way. In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 18, here's what God says. Chapter 6, verse 18. I will be your father, and you will be my sons and daughters, says the Lord. I think some of us were taught by whatever church that we grew up in, or at synagogue, or mosque, that we have to build our resumes with God, that we are pledges, that we are candidates, that we are applicants who have to build a resume, or attorneys for ourselves, and we're trying to build a case so that on judgment day, we can argue before God on why we deserve heaven. And what I love about the passage of Scripture is I don't start at the bottom and work my way into God's family. The day that I turn from sin to begin following after Jesus, he says, on that day, I automatically call you my sons and daughters. You're granted full and complete status as my child on day one. And truthfully, that metaphor works because as a father, what did my son my daughter, and my youngest son have to do to be loved by me? Absolutely nothing. The fact that they are in my family is enough for me to want to continue to give and to give and to give and to give. And dear Lord, my daughter takes and she takes and she takes and she takes. And you know what I want to keep doing? Giving and giving and giving and giving. See, you think God doesn't love you because of the darkness in your heart and because of the things you've done, but you're not thinking biblically. I mean, the truth is you're wrong. It's because you are far from him that he's been working behind the scenes for months to get you to this service so he can tell you there's nothing the orphan ever does to deserve being adopted. It doesn't work that way. I choose you because I have love to give, and it pleases me to bring you into my family. You've never added anything to God that he needed. You've never done anything that so impressed the creator of all the universe. He had to stop and go, whoa, that impresses me. What could you do to disappoint someone who knew Everything you would ever do before you did it. To disappoint God means that you did something he wasn't expecting. So it's not like the day you cheated on your wife, God was in heaven going, crap, I didn't know he was such a moron. Because your wife had been telling him in prayers for a long time before that. So he knew. I'm just saying that my relationship with God has never Depended on my performance. And my continued love from God doesn't depend on it either. I bring nothing to the table. He, out of rich mercy and crazy, fabulous love and grace, gave me a chance to repent of my sin because it brought him great pleasure to adopt me into his family. 
and the recognition that I have not earned this is what motivates me to live differently. I don't try to live right because I'm afraid of God's judgment. I want to live right because I'm grateful that I ain't getting it. And that makes all the difference. If you are far from God or you feel that you're far from God today, you might be. I've got no fake encouragement for you. If you feel that where you are is not where God is at, you might be right. But what you need to know is that God brought you here now to fix that. That's why you came today. So that you wouldn't have to feel far from him any longer. God sent Jesus to buy your freedom according to Galatians chapter 4. We're not going to look it up for the sake of time. And according to 2 Corinthians 5 verse 21, the Bible says that God, Jesus, took on our sin so that we could take his standing before God. God as a father is giving you a chance to come in off the street. And here's what I love, that while it brings God great pleasure to bring you into his family, not just take away your sin, but to change your status, your relationship status with him, that wasn't the end of the plan. God doesn't rescue you from your sin just so that you can be a part of his family. And I do want you to see this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. If you've got your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 5. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 18 is where I'm at. And here's what it says. And all of this is a gift from God, who brought us back to himself through Jesus. And God has given us this task of reconciling other people to him. Verse 19. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them, and he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. Verse 20, so we, those of us who've already been adopted into God's family, have become ambassadors. And God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Jesus himself when we ask you, please come back to God. God's end game was to fill his house with every single person who would repent of sin and accept that Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection is the only thing that pays off the debt. Jesus tells this, I think, beautiful parable in Luke chapter 14. And in Luke chapter 14, the story is that there's a man who, who's prepared this great feast and this banquet. And he sends out invites to all of his close friends. And his close friends... Uh, well, in, in the metaphor were the Jewish people uh, that God had given the first chance to become a part of the household of faith. And many of them did not want to come to the banquet. So then what the host, the, the bank, the, the, he has got extra seats available at his table. So he tells his servants, I want you to go out to the market and into the neighborhoods, and I want you to invite everybody uh, to my banquet uh, because I still have seats around the table. And so they go out. 
and they invite more people, people who weren't the original invited guests, uh, but since there's extra room in, in the master's house, they go out and invite everybody they can, and a lot of them come to, to that feast. And then Jesus says, but then the master of, of the celebration recognizes that he still has empty seats. And then he tells his servants, I want you to go back out again, and this time I want you to go in. And this is what Jesus said. I want you to go into the alleyways. I want you to go to the bad neighborhoods. I want you to go to the dark places of this city. And I want you to compel them to come to my feast and eat. The reason why God invited you to become a part of his family, number one, is because you are a spiritual orphan. And now that you have been adopted into his family, God gives you the responsibility of going out to the rest of the orphans and telling them that they can be adopted too. If you are the only person in your family who's turned from sin to begin following Jesus, then you have been given the wonderful privilege of being the first one adopted in as a child of God. And what I love about your particular circumstance is when God looked at everybody you knew and he considered, which kids should I adopt first to give all of the other kids the best chance to be adopted also? He picked you. If you are the only person of faith in your home, this is a holy and divine privilege that God thought so much of you, he rescued you first. But it's not that he loves you more than anybody else that you know who's spiritually lost or disconnected. He just knew that you were the best option for them to get their chance to. That's phenomenal. I'm not above anybody else. I'm not more loved on Seaver Street than anybody else on Seaver Street. God just knew that if I rescue Sean on Seaver Street, then Dave Massarelli might get rescued. And he did. And Michelle. And Glenn and Tiffany. And Bim and Mary Codlin. I got other neighbors. I can't mention their name yet. I don't know where they're at in their relationship with God. But then God rescues Glenn and Tiffany. Yeah, I almost mixed the two married couples up. That would have been awkward. And Glenn's sister and her husband get rescued from sin to follow Jesus. And then God rescues Bim and Mary for the same reason. Dave and Michelle, for this. I didn't get their permission. Those were actually my neighbors' names. I shouldn't use their names. But God rescued you to rescue others. We have an awesome opportunity to be a part of somebody else's story. Can you imagine if your turning from sin to begin following Jesus became the first step in six of the people you love most getting the same opportunity to turn from sin and follow Jesus? I don't think there's anything that would be better than to be in eternity, in heaven, the day after I die and standing before the face of God, a thousand years from now. One of my closest friends on this side of the grave comes up to me on that side of the grave and says, by the way, I just want to thank you for not giving up on me, or I wouldn't be here now. Can you think of anything better than that? 
than your kid walking up to you and saying, Dad, thank you for raising me in church so that I would get an opportunity or I wouldn't be here now. We're going to wrap it up this way. I'm going to ask you to consider where you are in relationship with God and whether or not God's calling you to change that. And if you've already been adopted into the household of faith, I want you to think of two or three of your closest friends who are disconnected from God. And I want you to beg God for the opportunity to have a spiritual conversation with them in a way that is not weird for them. Maybe you can even pray, God, let them bring it up. But when they do, the people in my life group are terrified of talking to people about their faith because they think they have to know as much as me as the preacher. They don't. You are an expert on your story towards faith in Jesus. And if what you know was good enough to get you where you are, it's good enough to get them off of being stuck where, where they are to where you're at. I didn't say that right. I tried to make it sound good, but it didn't. But you know what I'm talking about? So let's pray. God, I'm thankful that you loved me while I was still sinning against you. You know every horrible thing I've ever thought, every, and you haven't rejected me. You know every bad thing I've done even since being adopted in your, fa in your, in, in your family, and you haven't kicked me out. God, I'm thankful that you don't give up, that you chase, that you chase, that you chase and chase. And God, I've got to believe that there's somebody who's here that you've been chasing for a long while. And if that's you, this is your opportunity to tell God you're ready to be found. If you have already believed, but you've never accepted, this is your chance. If you have the desire in your heart to be adopted into God's family, then I want you to know you are being drawn. Because Jesus said nobody would even want that if they weren't being drawn by my Father. If you have the desire to be right with God, then the coolest thing in the world is that you are right now being drawn by God toward that. Accept it. God, I want this. Take away my sin. Jesus, thank you for taking the punishment for them. I would never have asked, but since you're offering, I'd be crazy to ignore it. God, I don't deserve to be your kid, but if you'll adopt me, I'll... I want that. If you're offering, I'll accept. God, take away the sin that is in my heart and help me to follow you with my life. If you've already found God, then I want you to think of two or three of your friends who are disconnected. Your prayer is, God, give me opportunities. God, I've still got friends who are spiritually disconnected from you, and it's not because they're horrible people. It's because they're just broken people. We're all broken they're just orphans. That's it. The only difference between me and them is I've already been adopted. God, I'm asking you to adopt them also. God, I pray that our friendship would be safe enough for them to want to talk about spiritual things with me. And God, while I don't have all the answers, help me to give them whatever answers I do have. Help them to show up with me here to get more opportunities to know and to follow you also. God, that's my prayer. So I'm thanking you for rescuing me, and I'm asking you to rescue them. And if you want to use me, I'm volunteering. That's our prayer. We ask this in the great name of Jesus, and we all say together, amen.